hope you're eager to hear from the word of the Lord this morning. Pray that God would give us faith to hear and believe and obey his word. Well, each year approximately 650,000 individuals finish their prison sentences and rejoin society. Unfortunately, for many of them, about two-thirds of them will end up back in prison within the third year of their release. So lawmakers are eager to to do something to change this situation. And so for the second year, President Trump has issued a proclamation designating April as Second Chance Month. Did you know that? April is designated Second Chance Month. In the proclamation, he says that those who have been held accountable and have served their time to pay their debt should have more opportunities for success outside of prison, outside in the free world. And in a real sense, we could say that these former prisoners are looking for redemption. In one sense, they have it, right? They've purchased back their freedom by serving the debt they owed, by serving their time. But in another sense, just getting out of prison isn't the full redemption that they need, is it? They're looking for something more. They're looking for life, for wholeness. They're desperate to be able to thrive in free society. But what would you think if I told you that you, really that all humans are in greater need of redemption than even those former prisoners? You say, well, I've never been to prison. I'm, I don't need to be redeemed from anything like that. What if I told you that you had been imprisoned, you had been enslaved spiritually because of your own sin, and it wouldn't matter if you tried to pay your own debt for 10 years, for 20 years, for 1,000 years. If you tried to pay with your own life, you could not obtain your own redemption. Redemption, what will it cost to redeem you? Well, our story this morning is about faith in action. It's about faith in waiting. It's about redemption. Ruth is desperate for a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer, so she sets about in faith to go get one. But she's not sure what she will find when she arrives before Boaz. Will she get a second chance at life? Will he redeem her? Let's look at our passage together, Ruth 3, 1 through 18. See how our story unfolds. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, And his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. 
And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will not redeem you good, let him do it. If he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you were wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Dear Father, we come to this portion of your word, and we ask that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would fill me with your spirit as I proclaim your word, that you would fill us with your spirit as we hear your word. Give us faith to, to obey, to believe, to, to cling to Christ as our hope, as our redeemer, as our protector. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We left off in our story last week with Naomi and Ruth living together. They had been blessed in the land. By coming back to the land, they had been blessed by Boaz uh, with comfort, food, safety. They are secure, but they were still childless and they were still widows. And so we were wondering, will they be content with this arrangement? Or did they hope for more? To receive the blessings of the promise of Abraham of offspring, for Ruth to have a more stable care and security in marriage and forming a family. Well, we see right away in chapter 3 that Naomi has been changed. We saw this hinted at at the end of chapter 2. Now, Naomi and Ruth lived together, it said, until the end of the harvest. So it's been some weeks since Ruth had met Boaz in his fields, and nothing had come of it, right? Right? They had these hopes. Boaz is a redeemer. We had this providential meeting. And now it seems like we have hope. And yet, all these weeks, nothing has happened. And now Naomi knows that the end of harvest means the end of gleaning. And they would need to do something for food. But ever since Ruth's divine appointment with Boaz, her mind has been stirring. She's been thinking. And now she comes up with a plan. She sees it as her responsibility to find rest for Ruth. So remember back in chapter 1, Naomi told Ruth and Orpah, go back to your your home, go back to your land, and may the Lord bless you with rest in the house of your husbands. So when she's saying, it's my responsibility to find rest for you, she's saying, I need to find a home for you. I need to find a husband for you. She tells Ruth to get cleaned up and to anoint herself to put on her cloak and go to the threshing floor where Boaz will be. But wait till he's finished eating and drinking. And then once he's fallen asleep, 
uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what to do. Now this plan might seem a little sketchy to you, does it? It seems a little sketchy to me. Uh, If you were going to do something sketchy, when would you do it? In the middle of the night. (laughs) When everything's dark, nobody can see you, you want to go uh, and, and be able to be anonymous. So for the record, I don't think anything actually turns out happening that is sketchy. Some people actually say that this, this whole thing is uh, filled with sensuality and that, that uh, there's some perhaps immorality going on, but it does have the appearance of it, right? If someone saw Ruth doing this, no doubt rumors would start flying, wouldn't they? They would spread like wildfire. But notice what's going on here. Naomi, who was once bitter and empty... She, she came back bitter and empty to the land of promise, but she's now filled with hope. I say she's filled with faith in the Lord. And I get that from looking back at chapter 2, verse 20. When she finds out that God directed Ruth to Boaz's field, she said, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness, remember his steadfast love, has not forsaken us. He's not forsaking the living, living or the dead. So this word kindness really points to God's loyalty to his faithfulness to his steadfast love so by this divine encounter between ruth and boaz naomi is stirred up in her heart to once again remember god's faithfulness she has hope that god might provide for them through this kinsman redeemer boaz and notice here in the, these first five verses that this faith this hope leads naomi to act boldly she's acting in faith on behalf of Ruth, that she might find rest in the home of her husband. She's acting in faith on behalf of her husband and son, that their line might continue through an offspring. She's acting in faith for herself, that she too might be filled up in being a grandmother, that she wouldn't be left bitter and empty. And God uses her faith in amazing ways. The story is filled with initiative through and through. It's one of those things we talk about a lot here at CCR. You have Ruth's initiative in going to the fields, Boaz's initiative in doing abundantly more than needed in caring for Ruth, and you have Naomi's initiative here in planning for Ruth in making this audacious plan. And all these things seem to be done because of their steadfast love for God and one another, because of their faith in God's faithfulness. And so we should... Perhaps pause and think for a moment, in what ways is God's faithfulness stirring us to action, to initiative? You probably know the name William Carey. He's known as the father of modern missions. So he traveled to India in 1793 along with his family to be a missionary for Christ, even though he encountered a lot of resistance. He faced resistance from his own fellow believers at home who said, you don't need to go tell the heathen about the gospel. If God wants to save the heathen, he'll do it without your help or mine. And then, of course, he faced resistance when he arrived in India. He lost loved ones. He faced many challenges, including, including the death, deaths of wives and children. Yeah, I said wives. Multiple family members who died and suffered in the face of this missionary endeavor. It'd be great for you to read a biography about him or another missionary who's similar, Adoniram Judson, 
to the Golden Shores is a biography I read of Adoniram Judson. Really helpful to see what these men and women went through for the sake of the gospel. What they, what they gave up for the sake of the gospel. But Kerry once said something that is exemplified in his own life as well as in Naomi's actions here. He said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. So the first part refers to faith. Expect great things from God in his faithfulness, in his goodness, in his loving kindness. And the second part refers to how that faith moves us or encourages us. Attempt great things for God. Great things could refer to leaving home and traveling to another shore to be a missionary. Maybe God has that in mind for you. It's not outside the realm of possibility. Young people, this is, this is not just for other people. God calls ordinary individuals to do things like the Purdue's are doing in, in Asia. Or a great thing made to be to take initiative in serving the neighbors in your cul-de-sac. Does that sound like a great thing to you? Maybe a great thing you could attempt for God is taking the initiative to pray for someone that you find is in need and brokenhearted. Speaking the gospel to someone who doesn't know Christ. These are great things. Didn't Jesus say the greatest among you will be the least of all? The greatest among you will be the greatest servant. Those who are on their knees serving others. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God because ordinary things can be great things if they're done with a heart of love and faith in God. This is what we see in Naomi. If she had been content just to be passive, to coast, then she wouldn't have gotten to see God do great things through her and for her and for his people. Well, in our story, we see that Neither Naomi or Ruth are content with these blessings they've received in the land of mere comfort and food and security. They're expecting great things from God. And so Ruth agrees to do what Naomi has said, and then she follows through. Boaz ate and drank, and his heart was merry. Notice the wisdom Naomi used when she decided it wouldn't be good for Ruth to go to Boaz while he was hangry. Have you ever been hangry? Well, he's, he's had his fill of food and drink, and so he's, his heart is content, and then you can go to him. Wait until he lays down. So she uncovers his feet and laid down. When Boaz asked her who she was, she responded in verse 9, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. We're not exactly sure what it means that she uncovered Boaz's feet. Some take it as her... Uh, uncovering his feet so he'll get cold and wake up. That may be a part of it. Others think it's more sexually suggestive that she is presenting herself to him in an intimate way. I take it as somewhere in between those two options. It's still uh, left a little ambiguous. The fact that she goes to him at night and lays down beside him is very intimate, is it not? Almost scandalous. But in in her words, we see that she isn't looking for a fling. She is looking for something more substantial. She is looking for a redeemer. So she asks him to spread his wings over her. That's the same word Boaz used in chapter 2, verse 12. Ruth had come to take refuge, you see that, in the wings of Yahweh, 
under his wings, the God of Israel. And here, she says, yes, I have committed myself to the God of Israel, and now I want to commit myself to you. I want to come under your care, just as I have come under his care. This, many see it as a proposal of marriage. She's presenting herself to Boaz as in need of a redeemer, a husband. And so Ruth, in many ways, doesn't fit nicely into all of our moral boxes, does she? Uh, Nor does she fit into all of our complementarian boxes. She is outside of the box in these ways. And why does she want to find refuge under Boaz's wings? Because he is a redeemer. This is the same word Naomi used for Boaz in chapter 2. He is a redeemer. The word is goel. It refers to one who is a protector. In this story, it refers to a relative who has the privilege of buying back the land of the deceased. So they want to keep the land in the family. This is, I say, privilege too, because it seems uh, that it isn't an absolute obligation. This practice also seems closely related to that which is called a Levirate marriage, in which the brother of a deceased man had the responsibility to marrow his widow and continue the line of his brother. So they, they want to keep the family line going, and they want to keep the land of promise in within the family. And in this story, this practice of the Redeemer is all wrapped up in the themes of land and offspring, two very important themes in the promises of God throughout the Old Testament scriptures, throughout all of the scripture. So in the broader picture of the story, though, the Redeemer, or Goel, refers to one who is offering protection and care, security, rest for those who are poor and vulnerable, those who are in need, those who are desperate. You probably have considered that the word is often used of God throughout the Old Testament. In Isaiah, God is your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. In Job, he is the redeemer who who lives. In Proverbs, he is the strong redeemer who will plead the cause of the fatherless and oppose the oppressors. In fact, we might say that the very custom and ideal of the redeemer has come from the fact that God redeemed Israel, his people. Turn back in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Exodus 6. 6 through 8. There we read, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, And I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses was giving, uh, God was giving Moses instructions on what to tell the people. And God pointed them to the fact that he was their redeemer. Because God was the redeemer of his people, they should redeem those relatives of theirs who had become destitute and poor or had to sell themselves into slavery. You remember when we talked about the gleaning in the fields, God commanded his people, when you harvest the fields, don't go back and pick up the leftovers. 
Let those who are oppressed, let the needy pick those up. And why does he say that? He says that because you once were in that same situation. You once were a foreigner. You once were in Israel. But I brought you out. And here is a similar idea. I have redeemed you. Therefore, they had created this practice of the Redeemer. A Redeemer is one who takes responsibility for someone else who is desperate and in need. And he does so at his own expense. Ruth is desperate for a Redeemer. She's desperate for someone who will care for her, someone who will protect her, someone who will redeem her. Consider how Ruth here gives us a picture of our own desperation spiritually, our own spiritual desperation before the Lord. If you are a Christian, at some point in your life, you recognize you were not okay. Not everything is okay with my life. You somehow came to the realization that you were not in a right relationship with God, that you were estranged from Him, that you had sinned against Him. You were at odds with the one who made you. Do you remember what that was like, that sense of desperation? I remember the desperation in the eyes of Romanians who were coming to get medicine for themselves, for their kids, for their family members. We had set up different... Uh, posts around the city, areas they could come and talk to a doctor. They had no access to doctors. They had no access to, to vitamins or just simple medicines that could reduce fever. And you could see the desperation in their eyes when their child was sick and they needed something. Sometimes they would come in desperation and talk to the doctor and the doctor would say, there's nothing I can do for you. There's no medicine that can fix problem there's no medicine that can care for your child you need something more than that and we can't provide that this made me wonder if our affluence tends to dull our own sense of desperation we have everything that we need i have a headache and so i go to cvs and i get some medicine you know in what ways has affluence dulled your own sense of spiritual desperation Independence and self-sufficiency exclude desperation. And it's only when we feel this sort of spiritual desperation that we will recognize we cannot save ourselves. That we cannot be saved by others. That there is nothing and no one who can redeem us except for God. I wonder if you have had a sense of your desperation recently. Of your need. For someone, anyone who will redeem you. Ruth does. She recognizes her desperation for Redeemer. And so she courageously approaches Boaz. But what will he say? How will he respond to such an audacious request? And we don't have to wait long before we get the answer, do we? Verse 10. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. Her first kindness, steadfast love, was that she refused to go back to her home, but instead accompanied Naomi to care for her and to commit herself to Naomi and to Naomi's God and come to the land of promise. This second act of loyal love is that she wasn't looking for outward appearance, 
appearances. She wasn't looking for someone rich who would just take care of all her needs. She was looking for a godly man, a worthy man, a man who would show steadfast love not only to her, but also to Naomi. And now he gives his answer in verse 11. Do not fear. I will do all that you ask. Now you remember Naomi has said to Ruth, he will tell you what you ought to do. But here we see that it's Ruth who courageously went beyond Naomi's instructions and actually made a proposal to Boaz. And he's the one responding that he will do all that Ruth has asked. He will redeem her. He will protect her. He will provide for her. He will marry her. Why will he do this? Verse 11, For all my fellow townsmen, literally all the people of the gate, know that you are a worthy woman. Does that word catch your eye there? That she is a worthy woman? This is the same word used of Boaz. When we saw that he was a a man, uh, a warrior of character. He was a man of substance. He was a worthy man. Boaz is a worthy man and Ruth is a worthy woman. A match made in heaven, right? Perfect. But take a moment and look back to Proverbs chapter 31. Maybe you're aware of this connection. Remember, in the Hebrew Bible order, Ruth comes after Proverbs. So these two books are closely related to one another. And Proverbs 31, 10 through 31, you know all about that probably, the Proverbs 31 woman, right? The excellent woman. It's an acrostic poem proclaiming the excellencies of the woman who fears Yahweh. And in verse 10, we we see this phrase, A worthy woman, an excellent woman, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. That's the same word, worthy woman, pointing to Ruth. It's the same word Boaz uses to describe Ruth. And then skip down to verse 31 of Proverbs 31. It says, Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. And here in Ruth, Boaz tells us that those at the gate, the town leaders, they praise her as a worthy woman. But also in Ruth chapter 4, verse 11, we see that the people at the gate praise her once again. So I love how the author does this, right? He presents Ruth as the exemplification of the Israelite woman who fears Yahweh. An excellent woman. A worthy woman. But here's the thing. She's a Moabite. And yet she is the exemplification of what it means to be a faithful Israelite woman. I love how the biblical authors just turn everything on its head sometimes. Beautifully done. But it turns out she is no longer a Moabite. She is an Israelite in the truest sense of the word. She has committed herself to Yahweh, the God of Israel. She has become an Israelite by faith. For, as the scripture tells us, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And it is those of faith who are the sons and daughters of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Perhaps in the eyes of some, Ruth was just an orphan, a widow, a childless, husbandless Moabite. 
But in the eyes of the town leaders, she is a worthy woman. In the eyes of Boaz, she is a worthy woman. And in the eyes of God, she has become one of his daughters by faith. Boaz says he will redeem her. Though he's not obligated to, we really, we could say he becomes a picture of another redeemer. He's not obligated to redeem her, though some would see her as a Moabite, one not worthy of redemption, one not worthy of steadfast love. Boaz will redeem her, and Boaz here becomes a picture of who God is, a reflection of God and his steadfast love. We could say Boaz becomes a picture of the Messiah who was to come. He decides in his mercy to redeem Ruth. Perhaps you see how this is a picture of our Messiah, of the Savior, Jesus Christ. He had no obligation to us. We were outside of the physical descendants of the people of God. We were estranged from Him. We were not worthy in ourselves. We were unworthy. We were sinners. And yet, in His steadfast love, Christ chose to redeem us. You know Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. In His sacrificial death on the cross for us, in Galatians 4, 4-5, we were children enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. See, we are imprisoned naturally by our sin. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. So too Ruth has become a daughter of God through faith in God. And if a daughter, then an heir of God. What will God do through this Moabite turned Israelite through her faith in God? But we find a problem the end of chapter 3 there is a redeemer nearer than Boaz and he says in verse 13 remain tonight and in the morning if he will redeem you good let him do it but if he is not willing then as the Lord lives I will redeem you now lie down until the morning and just like that the hope for land and a home and a husband and offspring is put on hold what if this redeemer is not a worthy man like Boaz What if he's not a warrior of character? What if he isn't a man of steadfast love? What if he will not continue the line of Ruth's husband? How would Naomi respond to this? Well, Ruth goes back home with plenty of food to show that Boaz was serious about his commitment. Naomi had been empty, but Boaz doesn't want Ruth going home empty-handed. And when Ruth arrives home, Naomi asks, literally, who are you, my daughter? Same words Boaz asks her, who are you? In other words, have you come home ashamed and rejected? Or have you come home a new woman? Have you come home, have you found rest in your husband's home? And the answer is not quite either exactly. 
And we might think that Naomi would take the news hard. She would give up hope and once again become bitter and empty, but there's a different woman now. She's gained her faith. God has granted her faith. And so in verse 18, she says, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. It won't be long. The man will not rest, but settle the matter today. See, sometimes faith acts courageously, and sometimes faith patiently waits. So Naomi knows that now is the time for waiting. What will the Lord do? Patiently waiting on the Lord to provide a Redeemer. And she encourages Ruth to wait as well. And we have to wait patiently too. What will happen to Ruth and Naomi now that we've discovered there's another Redeemer? How will God work in this situation to keep His promises to His people? How will God go about working to fulfill His promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? of a land and of offspring through this Moabite woman, through this story, through this book of Ruth. Who will be the redeemer for Naomi and Ruth? Who will be the redeemer for God's people? As we consider our own situations, perhaps we must wait patiently as well. Consider for yourself, what will it mean for you to have faith in God in your current situation? Will it mean that you need to act courageously, boldly, trusting in God to provide for you, trusting in God to care for you? Or are you in a time of waiting where you have to wait patiently until God shows up as the Redeemer and protects you and vindicates you? He is our Redeemer. Brothers and sisters, turn in faith to Him. Let's close in prayer.